Good morning, I'm Mark. Welcome, welcome to Rivers Church. Welcome way down in Bearden. Let's give it up for Bearden. Let's give it up for Roan County. Let's give it up for Amped. And hello, folks in Blend. And right here in Live, welcome. We're glad you're here. Hey, I want to tell you something. A few of you who've moved here in recent years have been whining about how bad winter was. Winter's over. It's going to go up to 70 today. I told a few of you a week, a few weeks ago, like, when the daffodils pop up mid-February, it's a sign. It's coming. They're doing good. We're going to have a good week. We're going to have a great spring. Glad you're here. Glad to be together. Glad we're a part of this, what we call Two Rivers Worship this weekend. Hey, I want to tell you a couple things. The first starts with this. I was in a clothing store a while back, and uh, there was these middle-aged ladies who were circling this sale rack. And it was a small store, and these women were going around the sale rack, and without question, they were owning the space. We, we could hear, there's a, probably four or five others of us in the store, we could hear everything they were talking about because we were engaged in their conversation. And they were loading up their arms with all these different clothes, and they headed into the dressing room. And they went into the dressing room, and uh, they were trying on clothes, and I was out there at a rack, and I went over to the other side of the sale rack where the men's stuff is, and, <clears throat> and I could hear them talking, we could all hear them talking, and they were trying on clothes, they were laughing, they were hooping it up in there, and, and the one lady says to the other lady, she says, uh, hey, does this dress make me look fat? I stopped, I'm like, oh, how's this gonna go, right? <laughs> and the other woman replied, she goes, it has nothing to do with the dress, girl, you're fat. And it got real quiet for a moment or two. And then they bro both broke into hilarity. It was, it was so funny to listen to. It was incredible. They had the space to actually speak truth and love. That's the segue. Catch it? We're in, we're in a bunch of little letters. It's a series called Little Letters. We're looking at the little letters. And this weekend, we're going to look at a little letter called John 2. John 2, a little letter you can turn with us in your scriptures there. Get to the book of the second John, close there to the end, and all the little letters are written to the church. They're written as another little letter to the church. And as with all scripture, everything, everything is in context. Everything is in context. Context is critical when we look at a letter like this and why it was written. And though there's all kinds of arguments as who wrote first, second, and third John, I'm gonna go with the traditional route. Who wrote first, second, and third John was the same John who wrote the fourth gospel. His name would be what? Wow, we're cranking today. His name would be John. Second John jumps right in there, and he gets right into it. He gets right after it. And in 13 verses, this letter packs a punch. And the punch he's packing, just in case you miss it, he's calling them to a place of truth and love. Truth and love. That's the theme of this letter. The churches in Ephesus had experienced some conflict among them. Some, some deceivers had come in and had kind of convoluted the doctrine of the church, to which John's writing to them. He goes, I know you've been through conflict. I know there's some things going on in your gatherings. Some, some of the folks have actually left, but he's writing to these believers. What he's saying to them is, hold on to the truth. Hold on to the truth and walk it out in love. And as followers of Jesus, I know we say this on any election year, I, I, I'm going to hit it right on. It's only what, March? It's already, the, the, the rhetoric is already rolling, isn't it? This year, more than ever before, this, this political season has the potential to divide us as never before. And I'm not talking about a country. I'm talking about people inside the church. And so here's what John's pointing at. He's going after it. He goes, I, I want you to be hunkered down on the truth of who God is and to walk that out in love. And to be a follower of Jesus, 
To be a follower of Jesus, living out the truth and love defines us. It defines who we are. Living out truth and love defines us. The world's gonna take a look at how we're walking through this next year. And John drives a powerful theme home, a theme home that has everything to do with where you and I live and breathe. Let's get after it. John, 2 John, the letter close there to the end of your Bible, and John starts to speak. He says, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Stop. I'm not gonna do this with every verse, but he says, the, the, the elder, he's calling himself an elder. He says, to the elect lady in the church, it could be refer to a specific person, a woman, a leader in the church, or it could be a metaphor for the church itself. I, I believe it's a metaphor for the church itself. So he says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, truth and love, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning. This should sound familiar to us, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world and those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but many win, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and to talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. He comes in hard and strong, and he's pushing the, the reality that we're to be a people living in truth and love. This letter has two requirements. The first requirement is that we'd walk in the truth. He says the first requirement here is that we'd be a people, followers of Jesus, who would walk in the truth. What's it mean to walk? It means to live it out. Does that sound familiar? That we would live it out. Not only that we'd know the truth, but we'd live it out, that we practice the truth in the way in which we live our lives. It means to abide alongside the reality of the truth of the gospel. John commands his followers to walk in it. What's the truth? He mentions it five times in the first four verses. Walk in the truth, walk in the truth. He, he actually uses a, a greeting. He says, grace, mercy, and peace. And he doesn't say, hey, I wish this to you. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. He's declaring something to be true about them. What he's declaring to be true about them is that we're walking in the truth. The truth of what? It's the truth of the gospel. Grace, mercy, and peace, he says, will be with us. They're gonna be with us. Grace, the very grace that rescued and saved us. Folks, I needed a savior. You, you needed a savior. It's the grace of God that met us. Mercy, his, his sustaining power that meets us every day. Peace, we've, we've had peace made between us and the Father through Christ, and now we have the Holy Spirit that resides with us. He's, he's drilling hard and drilling home the gospel. He goes, this gospel must be lived out in our life, and it's gonna be lived out in our life in, in truth and in love. 
The truth is personal, he says. It's for each and every one of us. He's implying that it's corporate, and he also says it's gonna go on for all of eternity. This is the gospel of which we've participated in and are participating in. Grace, mercy, and peace in truth and love. Powerful start to just a short letter. As followers of Jesus, we're going to be defined by living in truth and love, living out the truth and love. So the first requirement is that we would walk in truth. We'd be a people that are walking in truth. And it's not a suggestion. Hope you see this here. It's, a, it's an imperative. It's a command. Just as we were commanded by the Father. In verse four, he says, hey, God told us how to do this. He says, I want you to follow the commandments. I want you to walk this out in love because this is the commandment I've given you. Not an option for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, we've been called to walk in the truth. And here's where it's so encouraging to read. John's writing to a group of people who there's been a division among them. Deceivers have come in. Some have walked away. Some have, some have scurried away from the faith. And what he's saying to them, I wanna, I wanna commend you for, for, command, for, for remaining committed to the word of God. I wanna commend you for walking in the gospel. I, I wanna speak to you, those of you who are left, for hanging in there. And he commends them, and then he challenges them and encourages them. He coaches them up and says, stay at it. Keep at it. Don't, don't let an evil one, don't let the deceiver, don't let someone come in and dilute your, your thoughts and your ideas of, of, of your doctrine of the gospel. Don't let anyone rob you from the, the walk that you're walking. Don't allow your, your faith to be diluted. You've come so far, grown so much. Don't let someone come in and sway you away from the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is. And so the inference here is that we would not just be familiar with the gospel, that we would not just know that, yeah, I, I know that Jesus died for me, and, and, and to have a relationship with him, I'm gonna step into that relationship, but that we'd be not just familiar with it, but saturated in the gospel, the story of Jesus, the story of God from, from Genesis to Revelation, that we would understand the full, the full complement of who Jesus is. He says, I'm calling you to walk in this, and, and to walk in it, you've gotta be saturated in it, more than just being familiar, engaging. And here's the specific threat that this church experienced. These deceivers were not just weak teachers, they were false teachers. I wrestled with this a little bit in the last couple weeks. What's the difference between a weak teacher and a false teacher? You know, nobody stands on the corner of all truth and speaks to you. Nobody. There's not anyone on our staff who has full and complete full truth and speaks to you with full knowledge of everything there is to know about God. Because there's no one on the face of the earth who knows everything there is to know about God. Right? Are we tracking? So what's the difference? How, how can you trust when someone's speaking to you? I was wrestling with this because I, I thought back about maybe 150, 200 messages I've given before, and like I remember being a high school pastor, and it was Wednesday, and kids were coming that night, and I'm, I'm cramming in, I'm just grabbing something from the scriptures, and I, I think I covered the text okay, but was it really what the text was about? Maybe not, maybe so. I look back and go, that was some weak teaching, that's some poor teaching. That, that's, some, that's some teaching that probably had some, some room to grow in. There's things that I believe you've heard us say from the front of the room, probably from classrooms and maybe growth groups you've been sitting in. Folks who've said, hey, I used to think this, but now I think this. Here's an illustration. I had a strong opinion about the end times 20 years ago. I, I had it nailed down in my mind. I thought, that's good. Don't need to deal with that again. And in the last 20 years, I've changed my opinion to some degree. I don't, I don't really know how it's all going to work out. I have some strong opinions about that. And I can't tell you 20 years from now, I wouldn't have some stronger opinions about that. So, so then what, what's the deal here? What's the difference between a person in their teaching, growing in their understanding of God, maybe it's poor, maybe it's weak, maybe it's not fully developed yet, and, and a false teacher? 
I wanna answer that question for you because I think it's incredibly important and that's what John's getting after here. Anyone who speaks other than the deity and the supremacy of Christ is a false teacher. Anyone speaking other than the deity and the supremacy of Christ is a false teacher. He gets after it here. He says in John chapter seven, second John chapter seven, they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ. What, what they're teaching is something contrary to the incarnation that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Folks, that's significant. That, that's not up for debate. That's not up for us to have differences of opinion about. That, that's an essential of the faith. And that's what John's writing about. That's what John's writing, why he's writing this. He says, don't let anyone come in and dilute your doctrine. For this strikes at the heart of the gospel, for John and for us. There's no room for a differing opinion when it comes to the person and identity of Christ. Do you hear me? There's no room, no room for a differing, differing opinion when it comes to the person and the identity of Christ. The truth of this letter that this letter points to is fully revealed in the person of Jesus. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promise to, to return. That's the life and the truth of the gospel that John's been pointing at. And he's saying there's no space in our world and our life for anything other than the person of Christ. And the backdrop John gives us from his, his own letter, quoting from Jesus himself, who said, I am the way, I am the what? I'm the truth and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, on that, there's no room to have a difference of opinion. That's the truth of the gospel. And John's saying, be careful, because there's folks that are sneaking in trying to tell you something different. The essentials of the faith are critical for us to grasp and to own as we follow Jesus, that we know that there's, there's nothing outside of the truth of who Jesus is that we should be allowing into our world and into our life, into our thinking. I don't know how many of you know this, but we are part of a denomination. People always get surprised by that. It doesn't feel like it. Well, we're, the, the denomination we're a part of calls themselves a movement. They don't like the word denomination, but we're a denomination. A bunch of folks across the world who've, who've aligned and collectively come together as the free church, the Evangelical Free Church. And we're the Evangelical Free Church of America. And the Evangelical Free Church of America has some, some awesome distinctives. And one of the distinctives that they've landed on, which I love and I hope you do too, is this. In essentials, unity. And this is referring to doctrine. In the essentials, there'd be unity. In non-essentials, charity. In all things, Jesus Christ. In the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. But in all things, hear it, Jesus Christ. That's where John comes down. That's where we come down. You might, you might ask, well, then what are the essentials? The essentials are everything that have to do with the person and identity of Jesus. If you want to know more about that, want to read more about the essentials of our faith, the Evangelical Free Church, our church, our doctrinal statement is the Evangelical Free Church's doctrinal statement. Go under our website, go under beliefs, check it out, pull it up, look at it. That's who we believe. That's who we are. These are the essentials of the faith. And John says, hey, watch out, because there's the, these deceivers who are going to come in and what they're doing is, is they're adding something to it. They're running ahead. They're going ahead of the doctrine in which they should be teaching. The idea of running ahead and going, going ahead, they're adding something else. They're diluting the, the reality and the incarnation of Christ, and they're adding something else to the gospel. They're going on ahead, leaving behind the teachings that were to be kept, preaching a wrong understanding of who Jesus is, and presenting themselves and their beliefs with, a, with an air of spiritual superiority. 
They, they think they've found some corner of the truth and they're trying to move the church in that direction. And in so doing, these teachings directly diminish the person of Christ. They're preaching an anti-gospel, and in response to the, these deceivers, John says, I want you to do something that's countercultural. Don't even accept them. Like in, that, in, in, in the world in which John was writing, if someone came into your village, someone came into your town, you would put them up for the night. You'd offer them a meal. You'd greet them. You'd offer them water, something to drink. You, you would do that. And John says, I don't even want you greeting them. Don't entertain them. Don't allow them to have any space in your life because if you do, you're gonna actually be aligning yourself with wrongdoing. That's how critical this was for John. That's how critical this was for the church as they were trying to follow Jesus and hold on truth to the gospel. Ouch, that feels pretty strong. Yeah, and rightly so. He says, watch out for these folks. They're running ahead of you. But you, you, Two Rivers Church, walk. Walk in the truth. And as we walk in the truth, there's another requirement. Walk in the truth. And then he goes on and he says, the second requirement is to walk in love. As we read 2 John, it's assumed that his audience knows the gospel of John. They, they, it, it's assumed that, that they already are, are aware of that. He's pointing back to the commands that, that Jesus has already given them, a command from Christ himself. John, in John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John's calling them to a place of love. It's a requirement. Again, not an option, not, hey, if you want to be a better follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to walk in truth and we're called to walk in love. It's another non-negotiable. It's another non-optional call in our lives. You know, which at first glance seems pretty easy. Hey, just love people. Love people. Hey, you on this side of the room, you out there, love this side of the room. Love the other campuses. Love the other venues. Love them. Don't you have a genuine love for people? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of us that could say, generally speaking, I, I, I love the people that call themselves Two Rivers Church. I love the people who call themselves Christians. And yet what he's saying here is, I, I want you to love them as I've loved you. Whoa. Doesn't that change the idea a little bit? It's not just a nuance. He goes, I want you to love other people, and here's how I want you to love them. I want you to love them like I've loved you. I saw everything that you knew about yourself to be wrong. I saw everything about your life that kept you from me, and I still walked towards you and loved you. In fact, I see everything still that you're wrestling with and you're struggling with as a follower and as a believer in Jesus, and, and I'm still walking towards you. Love like Christ loved you. Wow, that's a whole different reality. And yet as followers of Jesus, that's the call in my life. That's the call in your life. That's the call in our life as a church, that we be a people who, who actually love each other. We're called to walk in love. And here's where the overlapping realities of these little letters that we've been studying represent an overarching theme of, of one another, love one another. A few weeks back, we looked at the book of Philemon, another little letter and in Philemon, he says, I want you to forgive each other as Christ forgave you. Boy, is there any greater act of love than to forgive someone? He said, I want this to mark you as a people, as followers. I want you to forgive each other. Last week and the week before, we looked at a book called Jude. And in Jude, we're called to, to pray with each other, to pray in the spirit and demonstrating our love for, for God in that and also our love for one another. That we'd be a people who are praying in the spirit, praying for and with one another. And this week, he goes a little further. He goes, I want you to walk in truth. And as you're walking in truth, I want you to also walk in love. Folks, I don't know if this hits you, 
But this, this should rattle us a little bit. You mean I'm supposed to love people that I disagree with? Yes, you're supposed to love people that you disagree with and you don't see eye to eye with. Do you know that there's people in the spaces in which we frequent this morning who don't see eye to eye? Differences of opinion right here among us? Yes, you're supposed to love those people who have a very strong and different opinion than you do. I gotta tell you, right now, Terry and I are in a good place in our marriage, probably the best we've been in a long time, and I still need the Holy Spirit to love her. I do. If I'm gonna love her like Christ loved the church, if I'm gonna love him, her like, like he's loved me, I, I can't do that in my own strength. I can't, and she's easy to love. Some of you, not so much. <laughs> and you laugh, because you know it's true. And that's where the Holy Spirit meets us and gives us a, a power and, and a love and an affection for someone else, not just in words, but in actual emotion and fondness for each other. All of these themes are tied together and they all describe what it looks like to follow Jesus and frankly, are all captured in our mission statement. This isn't a cheap opportunity for me to go after the mission statement, but man, it's here. Our mission statement. You might think, well, what's our mission statement? It's gonna come up on the screen in just a second. There it is. That, that mission statement wasn't like, oh, we sat around and we got some creatives in the room. We thought, what would be a good mission statement for us to have? You know, and the creatives offered their mission. No, you know how that came about? It erupted from the reality that we find in the new scripture. It was men and women saying, this is what the church has always been about. This is what the church is supposed to be about. And we tried to capture it in words that were, that were um, easy for us to grasp and understand. Hey, two of our church exists to make gospel-centered, word-dependent, spirit-empowered, relationally-connected followers of Jesus. That's who we are. Gospel-centered, it's all about the gospel. Have you noticed that here in John's letter? All about the gospel. Word-dependent. People who are word-dependent, dependent upon the word, not my opinion, your opinion. What, what is the opinion and the truth we find in Scripture? Spirit-empowered, to live this life, we need Jesus himself and the very presence of his spirit residing within us to live the very life he's called us to, relationally connected to each other and to him, that we'd be a people that are marked by these things. That, that's what the New Testament church looked like. That's what John's getting after here. We exist to make followers of Jesus. And folks, this has huge implications in the world. It sure does. But it also has huge implications for us right here inside the body of Christ that we call Two Rivers Church. Huge implications, how we love one another, how we care for one another, how we walk this stuff out. You see, these commands to walk in truth and to walk in love, they, they work in tandem together. They're, they're not separate deals. They, they work in tandem, and it's here where the rubber meets the road. And I gotta tell you, it's here, and I hope you feel this, where it gets complicated and real messy. It gets complicated and real messy to walk out truth and love among believers. How we communicate truth is important. How, how we actually express this and how this gets played out in our lives as we seek to be followers of Jesus, it, it, it's complicated. I gotta tell you, I don't know if you've ever had somebody walk into your life and just drop a truth bomb. Anybody? Just walk in your life, walk right up to you, have some knowledge of who you are, but walk in and just drop something that's true, that they believe that's true about you. Just drop it and walk. It's kind of painful, right? It kind of makes you angry. Even if what you know they said is true. Outside a relationship, it's just, it's just cruel. It feels just cruel when someone drops the truth on you that way. So how we, how we communicate truth is, is rather important. How we deliver truth is rather important. Proverbs 27 says, hey, the, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Like I've had good friends of, of mine who've wounded me by telling me the truth about me. And it hurts. 
It doesn't say, hey, the wounds of a friend are fine because the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Hey, think about this. When someone walks into your life that you know deeply and, and has some knowledge of you and speaks truth into your world and it kind of ruffles your feathers a little bit, allow the Spirit of God to draw the Spirit of God closer to you as well as the person delivering that information. And yet, reality is, it still hurts. And yet, what I want to present to you this morning is, is an, an offering of, of four principles. I want to give you four principles. These, these four principles of how we walk out truth and love, um, they're, they're not all-inclusive, but they're nothing less than these four for sure. You could probably add some more to these, but in our time that we have today, we're going to hit four of them. The first two requirements, um, before I do, let me say this. Sometimes walking out truth and love means I got to love you enough to tell you the truth, Right? Sometimes walking truth and love means there's some hard things I need to say to you, and the reality is, even though these truth and love are inseparable, the most kind thing I can do to you is to tell you the truth. And sometimes I'm put in a position, sometimes you're put in the position where someone's gonna hurt themselves, someone's gonna damage themselves, and so you need to step in and speak the truth to them. Sometimes what that looks like is discipline. If any of you have ever parented, you know what I'm talking about. You don't just let your kids do anything they wanna do all the time, they wanna do it. You walk in and go, no, I love you enough to say stop. No, that's not gonna happen. Not on my watch. And there's, a, there's, there's times when this truth and love piece, as messy and as complicated as they are, require us to step in and to discipline. Some of that's happened in and among us at Two Rivers Church, in growth groups. People have stepped in and said, hey, th this piece that's going on in your life, I love you enough to tell you the truth about that. We've done it informally, but we've done it formally. Recently, we've had to ask someone to step out of membership at Two Rivers Church. Called up on it two or three times, went two or three times with, the, with other folks, with elders, and, and, and they, they still chose to go a different direction. So we've had to take their membership away. Now, the, the, the intention there isn't just to be punitive, isn't just to discipline them for discipline's sake, but hopefully what they'll feel in that, in that sense of discipline is, is somehow they've, they've been separated from the community, separated in some sense from what they've experienced as the presence of God, and that would draw them back. I've experienced this in my life. There's times in my life where I feel like I was under God's discipline where he goes, Mark, I'm, never, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not gonna allow you to do this anymore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna withdraw myself so that you'll be drawn back to me. And so sometimes living out truth and love requires us to walk in those hard places. Here's the four principles. The first is this. Living the truth and love requires a relationship. It requires us to be in relationship this love that John is writing about, if, if you go back this week and read the first two or three or four verses of this, he, he loves these people. He's, he's pouring it out to them. He's, it's love and truth and truth and love and grace and mercy and it, it, it's all over the place. John loves these people. He's moving into a space in their lives where he has relationship with them. He's not just dropping a truth bomb and moving on to another letter. And, and here's what I believe to be true. I believe sometimes when we have a corner on the truth, sometimes there's, there's some of us in the space that I'm speaking to right now, when you know you know that you know that this is right, you can't help but, but share that with somebody. You know you're right, and you know as you look at someone else's life that they're wrong, and you feel like you need to release it. And in your mind you go, the truth will set me free. And you have released that truth, and you can walk in freedom. Now that person is buried under, thank you very much, right? Truth bombs can hurt. Nobody wants somebody to drop a truth bomb in them outside of relationship. You can share truth outside of relationship, but if you want someone to hear you, if you want, if you want to invoke a response that someone might turn, it comes out of a place of relationship. Truth alone is just that, is just truth. 
about a year or so ago, I was running up, Campbell Sta- or up Kingston Pike, turning left on Campbell Station. And I was getting closer to Campbell Station. My, my earbuds were pretty loud. I had them pretty, turned up pretty high. And, and this megaphone was going on the corner of, of Campbell Station. And I was like, man, this is, this is annoying. I was already bugged and annoyed. So I took my earbuds out and I saw this guy. He, was on a, he had a Bible in one hand, a megaphone in the other. He was just yelling, yelling truth into the microphone. So I thought, all right, let me not be too judgmental here. Guy already interrupted my run. Took my earbuds out, put it in my pocket, and listened for a few minutes. And there's nothing that guy said that wasn't true. Turn or you're gonna burn. You're all going to hell unless you choose Jesus. All those things that he said were true. All of them were true. And yet all I felt was screamed at. All I felt was yelled at. Oh, may that not be us when we get a handle of the truth. When we, we know something that we know that this is right, this is good, this is right. That we not be a people with a megaphone, but we walk into the context of relationship with someone just as those two gals did in that dressing room, the context of relationship where truth can be heard, truth can be received. So living the truth and love requires a relationship. Living the truth and love requires a right motivation. My motivation ought not to be, again, not to be right, not about me, but about the other person. It ought not be about us, but the other person, their good, their maturity, their growth, their love for Jesus. We, we ought to be a, a people who are, are concerned about the life of other people in such a way that, that if we step into these spaces of truth, that it is done in a place of love, that, that people know that we see them, that we understand what they're going through in the midst of it all. These deceivers, he said, they were spiritual elitists. In fact, one commentary makes an argument. They, they, they had taken the spiritual gifts and taken them to a degree that they're making their, their life and their faith and their religion all about the spiritual gifts and we're missing Jesus altogether. There's a level of spiritual elitism. And so when we don't have the right motivation, we come across to other people like we're spiritually elite. And folks, I gotta tell you, none of you stand on the corner of truth. None of us do. Jesus does. A go-to story, I almost didn't mention it because I thought, well, this, this story is used so much. You know why it's used so much? It's a great story. It's a great story. Jesus has an encounter that's amazing in John chapter four. He encounters a Samaritan woman who's coming to the well. And we know more about this lady from research that she's coming to a well at a time of day because it was the only time of day that she wouldn't have to deal with other people. And so she comes to the well and Jesus comes up to her and he asks her for a drink of water. This was culturally unacceptable. And she calls him out on it. She goes, how is it that you, a Jewish guy, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? This isn't done. This is not a cultural practice that's normative for a good Jewish man. And he says, well, I'm asking you for a drink of water. And she questions him. And then he says to her, if you knew who it was you're speaking to, you would ask me for living water. And I'd give you, I'd give you water that will quench your thirst for all of eternity. What? And I know it's just a few verses here, but these few verses imply a bigger conversation. It's clear in this conversation that they talked about religion. They talked about faith. They talked about worship, where her people worship and how worship's gonna take place. They talked about her life to some degree. And Jesus says to her, hey, I want you to go and get your husband. I want us to have a conversation with him, apparently. And she says to him, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you don't. And the man you're living with, he's not your husband. Daughter, go, sin no more. What a beautiful picture. 
a motivation. The king of the universe, if you want to call black and white, black and white, knows right and wrong, sits with a woman. She's seen and she's heard, for she rushes back to her village, to a place she didn't have an audience or a voice. She had to go to the water well at a time when nobody else was there because she didn't want to be dealing with other people and nobody wanted to deal with her. And she goes back and holds court in her village and she said, you got to meet this guy. I think he might be the Messiah. She's got a place of faith. She's actually a person of faith tripping over her own brokenness. Yes. But pointing to the Messiah, she goes, he's told me everything I've ever done. I got to remind you. And if you're a kid in the room, I apologize. This is a, a word that's used in scripture. Jesus didn't say to the woman, hey, whore, come sit next to me. I got some truth for you. That's not how he operated. That's not how he functioned. There was a motivation in him that was very different than that. He saw her, saw where she was, created a relationship with her, and spoke into her life in a way that she could hear it. God calls us to be a people who are speaking the truth in love with the right motivation it also implies that living the truth and love requires that we'd be a people meditating on God's story. We'd be a people meditating on God's story. I've, I've seen these conversations take place when these issues come up or something happens in someone else's life and there's an issue that just doesn't feel biblically accurate or correct. And so we get the chapter and the verse and we, we come in with our note card and pull out the chapter and verse and we try to lay that down on somebody. Here's the moral code. And again, that might be absolutely accurate completely accurate. And yet that's not what John's getting at here. He goes, I want you to be familiar, not only familiar, but saturated in the truth of who God is, saturated in the gospel. The gospel, not just you're walking into faith with Jesus, but the gospel about Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promised return. I want you to be so saturated in the story that when things emerge in the life in which we live, in the culture in which we will find ourselves, and we do find ourselves, that there'd be an understanding of who God is and, and, and how he's operated and functioned and how he, how he responds to people in the truth of the word. The Bible Project calls the scriptures, among other things, meditative literature. I like that, meditative literature. That we should be people who are meditating on the word of God, thinking about it, rethinking about it, thinking about it some more, that we should meditate on it. Not go to chapter and verse, not try to use the Bible as a moral code and argument with someone, but to tell the story of Jesus. And implied here, we must move into any discussion with a level of genuine humility. Genuine humility, what would that look like for us? Seeing the person within the topic at hand more than the topic at hand. Did you hear me? Seeing the person, seeing the person like Jesus did, the, the woman at the well, in the topic at hand, more than that. Seeing the person behind it, seeing the person within it. What would it look like for us to be a people who, who don't quickly go to the moral code when we hear and, and know someone's living in a way contrary to what we know the scriptures are calling them to be? If we ask them these questions, hey, I'm curious, tell me more of your story. Tell, tell me, tell me your story. And then hopefully in the conversation as the story's being told, help me understand as, as following Jesus and you, and you look at scripture, how, how might that line up here? How might that line up in scripture that we would be people who are engaged in seeing people and knowing their story and moving into a place with them where they can see and hear the truth? I was reading in Matthew chapter 11 this past week and verses that I just love, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And always hunker down and camp on them, but then there's, there's a follow-up. There's, there's, in verse 29, he says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. If anyone could stand on truth and go, it's black and white, 
accept, deny, whatever. Jesus says, come to me. I'm gentle. I'm gentle at heart. I, I want to engage with you. I, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your hurts so I can speak into them. That's the picture we see of Christ as he responds in truth and love. And living the truth and love requires the Holy Spirit's power. It requires the Holy Spirit's power. I can't do this in my own strength. In fact, you shouldn't do this in your own strength. There's, there's no time in your life when you should walk into the truth of someone else's life in your own strength, in your own power. That should be an indicator right there. You're probably off base. You just want to be right about something and hold court. God calls us to speak truth in the lives of people we care about, lives of people we love. And, and here's, a, here's a suggestion. Here, here's a question I ask myself every time I feel like God's called me to speak a hard truth. If, if I don't speak this truth, will I be disobedient, Jesus? If, if I don't do this, will I be disobedient to you? And, and sometimes what I hear is, yeah, I want you to speak this. Yes, if you don't do it, you would be disobedient. Here's what I also hear sometimes when I ask that question. Mark, your motivation's wrong. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And yet, that's not yours to speak. I'm not letting you release that. And other times, there's something going on in my life right now. God's going, yeah, there's a truth I want you to speak, but this isn't the time. Hold it. Wait for it. Wait for it. And that causes us in the muck and the mess and the tension that we live in to, to actually wrestle with God, I want to rely on your spirit, not on my opinions, not on my thoughts. I surrender those to you. You've given me a mind to think and a heart to feel, and yet I surrender those to you. God, I want to be in step with your spirit as it relates to speaking truth in the lives of other people. It's a spirit that empowers us, enables us to walk in the truth and to engage in these tough places. This letter, folks, is about followers of Jesus living out truth and love and how we love each other defines what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how we love each other. And I'm gonna go back to where we started 20 minutes ago. This year is gonna be tumultuous. I'm just telling you ahead of time. I think we've experienced this sweet, sweet space inside the church where everybody went home during COVID and whoever's back's back and we're all together, we're getting along, we're loving each other. God's given us a unity that he said was ours from the beginning and we're experiencing that. And yet among us, among us, I'm just telling you, this isn't a prophetic utterance. This is just a reality of human nature. Among us, there are differences of opinions, and they're going to be emerged this coming year. I don't know in my lifetime. I know everybody, every time we get to a new election year, someone says, wow, this is going to be the most pivotal election year. Yeah, th I think this is going to be the most volatile, and I think it's going to be the most volatile and, and challenging for us right here inside the church. It's a unique time in history, a time in which we face like never before. And it saddens me that what the church has adopted in an odd way, we, we want to put the culture down and say the culture's bad, the culture's wrong, yet we adopt their practices. This whole cancel culture thing, man, that's crazy. If you don't agree with me, if you don't line up where I line up, I cancel you. Wow, that's pretty strong. And I think it's, it's crept its way into some of our thinking. If you don't line up with me, agree with me, I cancel you, and I'm gonna malign you in the process, and I'm gonna do it all in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Folks, that's bad. That's wrong. May that not mark us as, a, as followers of Jesus, as two of his churches, we walk forward into a year like no other year. Like no other year. The events are gonna rip us apart. And I gotta tell you, here's the truth. You wanna know the truth about us? There's people in this room who don't line up in the same political party. And I don't know what political party you're in. They're all crazy. <laughs> There's no perfect political party. If you think there is, you got to find some other place to be because there's no perfect political party. We don't put our hope in the politics. We don't put our hope in anybody who, who's been 
who's been promoted to a place and position of authority in that. We trust Jesus and God to reign and rule over that. And among us, we've got differences of opinions on what political party we think each other ought to be in or not. We've got strong opinions. And this year, there's, these opinions are gonna be rustling us and ruffling us underneath our feathers and probably even above. The issues that are before us have everything to do with Border controls, race, guns, economics, sexuality, and all its variants, life beginning and when it begins and the whole IVF stuff that's going on in some of our states right now, poverty, abuse, add to your topic and your list. There's gonna be places in which you and I, you and I, we all will have differences of opinions and disagree about. May this not be a place, may we not be a people who cancel each other, who write each other off, but may we be a people who sit and, and seek to understand and have great motivation and may we be a people who love, who love well, who love the truth well and love each other well. That's, that's what this book is calling us to. And not just wrestling with the issues. Folks, you gotta know this, and I think you do. There's, they're not just issues we wrestle with, they're issues we're wrestling in. These issues I've mentioned, there's probably not a one of us in this room that doesn't have somebody in our family or ourselves who are wrestling through these very issues. How as a follower of Jesus, how as a follower of truth am I to react and respond? This is, this is beyond me. And I hope you feel that because it is, it's beyond you. Folks, we need individually and corporately the Holy Spirit to move and lead us in a way that reflects the person of Christ and Christ alone. Living the truth in love says Jesus is non-negotiable and I love you. Living the truth in love says Jesus is non-negotiable, and I love you. Truth and love force us to see people. May we be a people who see people, not the topics, not the issues, but see people. And somehow, dependent upon the Spirit, to be a people who come out the other side in relationship with one another, in, in fondness and love for one another. The truth and love, that's not two things. It, it's inseparable, it's one thing. We're a people who live in relationship where God's called us to be unified as he says we are. May we be the people who God says we are. Some next steps for us this week. Get real practical. Let's ask Jesus this question. Who needs to see your truth and love in me? Who in my life? Who needs to see your truth and love in me? Who needs to see me see them? Who needs to see me understand or move in to, to grasp with curiosity to understand where someone is rather than just rebuffing people? Who, who do you need me to, to be you to, Jesus? Show me what that looks like this week. And then as he responds, as we ask Jesus a question, he responds or something internally we know, I think this is the person. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Then do it. Live it out. Live it out. Live it out has two meanings for us that we would live it out, what God's saying to us, how he's speaking to us, how the spirit of God is moving in and through us, that we'd actually put that stuff into, into practice and to live it out. And then to live it out, that we'd be a people that continue to study God's word together. We'd be word dependent. We'd walk out the truth, not just familiar with it, but saturated in it. This week, you're gonna have a great time in the live it out stuff that this week. The worship stuff's amazing. Look forward to doing that. But folks, may we be a people more than ever before marked by following Jesus in truth and love. If that's your desire, would you boldly and loudly say amen? amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. Thanks for your word. 
Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for opening your word in such a way that, that causes us to wrestle. God, we don't know what this is supposed to look like and all the ins and outs of, of life with the people that we live with. We are completely and totally dependent upon your spirit to, to show us what this looks like, and we trust you to do it. Jesus, we affirm that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And as we, as we walk that out, may you also find us loving each other like you loved us. It's in the precious and holy name of Christ we pray. Amen? Amen. Nothing more for us to do than to stand and worship the way, the truth, and the life.